0: Good to see everyone again. All right, good morning. So, um, wow, what a great way to kind of enter into uh, this second part of this series. As you recall, last week we were kind of building up to this point, and we begin to look and, and talk about uh, the new spirit, the new creation in us, so uh, I couldn't think of better songs this morning to begin to push us into evaluating and looking at our own lives and um, you know, what that evidence of our life should be. Um, so th- this morning I-, I want you to get out of this as we begin to look at Galatians primarily five sixteen 16 uh, through 21. I know on the screen I believe it says through 26. And, um, but that the Holy Spirit opposes the works of the flesh. So if the Spirit is living inside of us as true believers it should be, then it is opposing the works of the flesh. Um, So the main idea this morning is the Holy Spirit will not yield Himself to the sins of the flesh. It does not work like that, that the Spirit would yield Himself to the sins of the flesh. It is the opposite, um, that our sinful nature should be yielding itself to that of the Spirit. Um, He works through the process, as we know it, sanctification, to separate us from our fleshly Desires. So it is an ongoing process. We don't believe at the moment of justification that we are sanctified and made right, right at that moment in time. We know that it is a lifelong war, so to say, that we are uh, opposing our very own flesh. Uh, and that is by the Holy Spirit. So if you recall last week, uh, or if you were unable to j- join us last week, uh, we began to look at the Holy Spirit as our helper, right? And in that, the foundation for what was to recognize that the purpose in the work of the Spirit begins with a spiritual surgical intervention. And we talked about that last week as Paul compared that to physical circumcision. And in that that spiritual circumcision, in that physical circumcision, it was contrasted with the Old Testament practice. And in the spiritual circumcision, New Covenant, which the Spirit brings about, so it's not something that man does, but it is something that the Spirit does inside of us. And if the Spirit has not worked that out first and foremost, as I stated last week, and we talked about this in small group, is that is not our foundation, that the Spirit has created a new heart inside of us, then everything else I'm going to say today in the next couple weeks is pointless and useless to you. Because ultimately it is in the life of the new believer who a spirit who the Spirit of God has done a work in that these next items are important to. Now, today is a, um, a, a list, so to say. It is an argument from Paul's standpoint that if you are living in a lifestyle of these things, then we should evaluate ourselves and determine are we truly or do we truly have a new spirit inside of us? Has the Holy Spirit done a regenerative work within us? Because if we can say... Uh, no, we continue to do these sins, then there's a huge issue there. And uh, we'll look at that as we go forward. Um, So it is through the Spirit, if you remember this from last week, by faith that our eternal hope lies and produces change. Um, As I told you last week, Galatians 5 leads us to the procession of warnings and admonishments. So we see that in the coming weeks. So this week we look at warnings. Next week we look at admonishment of the church. And over the next two weeks we will look at how the Spirit instructs us toward holy living. That's, that's the part that's important to us, right? So we get this. We have a new Spirit. Here's what the Spirit looks like working itself inside the life of the church. And we are a church body here. Paul did not write this to individuals. He wrote it to the church. So it is for us so that we can live by Um, And he instructs us to torch holy living by teaching us to hate sin. Get that? Hate sin. Not to just merely do away with it or try to get along with it, but to hate it. uh, To put it to death. And also, he also gives us this so that we may hate sin and produce good works along with the godly character within us. Uh, from here, Paul provides us two lists uh, so that we may determine if our life demonstrates with evidence that the Spirit of God dwells in us. So we should be able to look at the Scriptures over the next two weeks and say, by these set of lists, I can determine, does the Spirit really dwell within my life? Not that those two lists save us, not as if I do A, B, and C off of those lists, that, um, that we are ultimately saved, but because of our salvation, because of the new spirit, because that it produces a love for God inside of us, then we should not desire to do that sinful activity that was a part of our past, that was a part of our old nature. So, remember, this is not an external dwelling, right? We talked about this last week, but is the internal dwelling of the spirit. Uh, Jesus left... Um, The Spirit came so that he may dwell within all of us. So my desire today is to get you to dwell on and practice hating your sin each and every day. I want you you to wake up every morning and and hate your sin. But we we have a way of saying, what does that look like? How does that play out? So if you don't mind standing, I'm going to read Galatians 5. I'm going to go ahead and go through 26 just so you have an idea of what we'll look at next week as well. But I want you to see what it is, the Spirit, uh, what a life of the Spirit looks like, and then what it it should not look like. So starting in verse uh, again, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Or sorry, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who, who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. May sit down. Thank you. Father, just uh, we pray now that you will lead us into your word, uh, that you, as you speak to us um, through your Holy Spirit, which lives in the life of those who profess you, who believe in you, that you will work yourself out in, in the pages of Scripture, that you will help us to understand, and once again, as we prayed last week, illuminate the Scriptures to us. So, Lord, it may shine a light on areas of sin in our life. It may shine a light on warning in our life. And us to be able to evaluate whether or not that new creation has taken place or not. There are warnings throughout the pages of New Testament Scripture for this reason. Um, And Lord, may may we take this serious. Uh, May we take your word serious. Lord, it is not one of a lack of hope today, but it's one pointing us in the direction of what does the spirit living within the believer truly look like. And Lord, it's something for us to mull over this week and to think about as we leave here and to challenge us, Lord, in in ways and practices that we can follow you better, Um, Lord, as we rest in your salvation and all the work you've accomplished. Lord, do a great and mighty work here today through your word. In your name I pray, amen. So my first thing I want you to understand today is we are to yield to the holy spirit daily. Verse 16 says this. We go back to it, it says but but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, you know, Paul starts out immediately after explaining how our works do not justify us in the earlier part of the chapter, right? We remember that going back to circumcision, going back to the law that our works, what we do, does not justify us before God. It is not as if we can take those things before God one day and say, God, but I have done all these things. No. What matters to the Lord is, are we relying upon the work alone of Jesus Christ? So, that's where Paul you know, brings us back to the, in justifying in the earlier part of the chapter and begins in verse 16 by providing an exhortation. This is his exhortation to the church. He gives him encouragement. He says, walk by the Spirit. Now, we tend to take a lackadaisical approach to this. When we think about walking by the Spirit, what we do is we act as if it's expressing more of a, a general idea of our faith. And, and what that means is we, we tend to think of it as, okay, well, walk by the Spirit just means that You know, I'm a Christian and I can do Christian activities and and go to church and, again, just kind of maybe pick up my Bible every once in a while and we kind of walk by the Spirit. But that is not what Paul is getting at at all. Um, In in the Greek, um, it is actually expressed in a much stronger sense. Uh, It's conveying something much deeper and greater. What Paul is saying here, it is a conscious effort to wake up every morning... Right Every morning. And prepare to submit yourself to the Spirit. So it means to yield yourself daily to the Spirit. It does not mean that you yield yourself on Sunday mornings. You come in here and you worship. And then as soon as you leave here that you can go be as ugly as you would like to to the waitress that you're going to eat lunch at. It doesn't mean that you go throughout your week without thinking about God again until your small group or... you know, your Bible study or growth group. It doesn't mean that you don't think about them again until the following Sunday. What it means is that every morning we accustom ourselves to waking up and yielding ourselves to the Spirit. That takes a lot of practice, actually. It is not something that we're in our old nature that we do, because what we wake up in every morning used to doing is our old nature. We want to give into the old ways of life. And guess what? We busy up our life to do so, right? We all tend to establish routines. Hopefully everybody here wakes up or goes to bed at night with a shower. And we brush our teeth and we get our clothes ready and we get prepared for the day. And we start thinking about what that day is already going to look like. And without any thought whatsoever of this, because what we think is okay, I've done all these other things. I went to church yesterday, I sung, and I listened to the preacher or the pastor. And we don't think about how How do I yield myself to the Spirit today? What does it mean for me to walk with the Spirit today? And what we do is we jump into our busy life, we go about it, we get ready, uh, we have our routines and we go on to work and we, we go about our daily activities at work. We come home to our kids we do things with our kids. We get them ready for bed. And then if we're lucky, we slow down enough for the day's in, And we go to sleep, right? And we pass out. And we re- set it repeat the next morning, just hoping to get through the day without giving any thought whatsoever to what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish in our life. And it is accomplishing. Because we don't yield to the Spirit daily. Instead, we yield to the flesh. And fleshly things. And let me tell you something. The enemy desires nothing more than to busy up your life. If he can keep you busy, and if you can keep yourself busy, then you don't have to yield yourself to the Spirit. You don't have to change that old nature. And he's glad that you put those stumbling blocks in your way so that you don't have to yield yourself in that way. So, this is going to be a a challenge for you, right? Tomorrow and the rest of the day to think about. How am I going to yield myself to the Spirit? Because what we have to do is be able to not only think about routines we have to do. Yeah, we've got to get ready. I hope you take a shower. I hope you put on deodorant. Brush your teeth, right? Do all those routine things that you do through the day. But we have to figure out a way to establish routines in our Christian life in order so that we are yielding ourselves to the Spirit daily. Because if you're not establishing routines in your daily life, it is going to be impossible for you to yield to the Spirit daily. So we have to have a mechanism or mechanisms in place to say, okay, Lord, I am dying to myself today by establishing this practice with you. And part of that, and I'm going to give you some ideas of what that means and what that looks like. So so what are some good practices? What are some good routines? As we fight sin, as we looked at this list of sins that the church is dealing with, I can tell you right now that there are sins in our church. There are sins in every church. There are sins in the church just globally. And the question is for us, though, as a local body, as individuals that make up this church, how do we fight our sin? And then how does that collectively, as we'll learn in a couple weeks, affect the church here, the local body, Battleground Community Church? Especially as we move forward. So, some good practices, right? We know this verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We say it over and over and often. Have you really thought about it? So the first practice is to renew your mind daily. Daily. That's what the scripture says. Paul's writing here, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... He says what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Every day. Holy and acceptable to God. Now, we already have a mediator who is wholly acceptable to God. Why does Paul say this? Because it is nothing that we do, but in Christ we are living wholly acceptable lives back to God. Because we are mimicking the lifestyle of Christ. So we are living a holy sacrificial life every day that is what God is calling us to which is your spiritual worship so so by doing that that's your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed get this by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect The renewal of your mind how do you renew your mind if you're not in the Word of God? If you're not picking this up and studying it and looking at it and saying, you know, God, what do you say? What have you had to say through your Word? If you're not in communication with God and His Word, if you've not made this a practice, how in the world do you expect to renew your mind? It's impossible. Renewal of your mind just doesn't come about, but it takes opening up the Word of God... Getting inside of it, looking at it, studying it, and going from there. Now, what I do want to say about that, we must do more than read it, okay? Because I can tell you, um, and, and this is no boasting point of mine, but most people's Bibles probably look like this. Who writes in their Bibles in here? A lot of people, yeah? yeah. So, yeah, you write in your Bible, right? How much of this do I remember? not very much why is that it's because I'm just looking at the Bible, I'm reading it and I'm writing down notes but the problem with that and devotionals is that in it I'm not mulling over it I'm not thinking about it, I'm not chewing on it I'm not meditating upon it see that's that's a word that's been hijacked by the way Uh, It's been taken by other religions and and other practices of meditating. Um, The word there means to, to literally think upon the Word of God. David uses it often in the Old Testament about you're not just reading the Word of God, you're not just even studying it, but it's like you're internalizing it in your brain, in your mind. So unless we're we're taking this and doing more work with it than just doing devotionals and just simply reading it and maybe making some notes, unless you're, once again, internalizing it in your mind along with the notes that you're writing and, and, and bringing it and tying it into other scripture and internalizing and thinking through it and meditating upon it, then it is really of no benefit to you. Because the way that the Spirit helps with the Word is that it says to keep it on your lips so and we're going to see that in a minute but we should be able to have it in our minds internalized to the point where we're thinking about it so that when things come about and sin comes about we're able to hit that sin with scripture we're able to go to war against our own flesh but if if you don't know the mind of God and his work through the His holy word that it is impossible for you to war against the members of your flesh. You know, I think about this too. I was Savannah would tell you, my mom always got on to me as I was growing up. I'm a fast eater. Like if you ever sit down with me, I just unless it's me and Stephen, we're talking ourselves to death. But um, so um, but just normally, like if I'm eating, I'm a fast eater. I just scoff it down, and I, I don't really get any enjoyment out of my food by doing that, right? It's just, my mom always told me, it's like, slow down, and enjoy your food, and, you know, let it process it, enjoy it, um, but I, I, I'm not, I just eat it, and to to me, uh, we were eating barbecue the other day, and I was like, man, I really like barbecue, it's one of my favorite f- foods, you know, it's like smoked, and it's got this good taste to it and stuff, so... I'm trying to remind myself, like, slow down and, and enjoy the taste just of how it smoked and how it was cured, all these different things, and just the taste of it. And the reason I bring that up is because the, the Word of God works the same way. It's when we taste it, when we eat of it, slow down. Take your time with it. Don't just hurry through sections of Scripture just to say, I read through this book or read through this section. I can tell you of many people in their life who have read the scriptures over and over and over but have had little impact on their life those things don't mean anything to me what matters to me most is that if you even take one sentence or a paragraph and you internalize it through the week and you think about it and you chew on it that that's kind of the point so In yielding to the Spirit, we have to be able to meditate upon the Word of God. So I hope you set that into practice today, tomorrow, the rest of this week. I'm not saying you have to do it every day. Because what happens is we start reading it every day, start jam-packing our mind full of stuff, rather than thinking about what we had already read. So, pick you out some Scripture, read it, begin to internalize it, think about it. Because it's that very thing, I tell you, along with the Spirit of God that He will use in order to fight and wage war against your flesh. <clears throat> Joshua 1.8 says, keep this, bu- keep this book of the law always on your lips. That's what I was talking about earlier. So, Now Joshua obviously is talking about probably Deuteronomy there. But I think that would go across all of Scripture now. Keep this book always on your lips. Keep the word of God always on your lips. Meditate on it. Listen to this. Day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I don't mean prosperous in wealth. I mean prosperous spiritually you will develop these practices, develop this understanding of meditating on the Word, then I can promise you that it will help you and be beneficial to you. Another thing that could be practical and beneficial to you is that 1 Thessalonians 15, verse 16 through 18 says, Rejoice, pray without ceasing, and give thanks always. So you already have the Word aspect. I've already told you that you can't leave God's word out of your life and you can't just even simply read it but you have to meditate upon it and think upon it and, and internalize it in your mind and then we take it a step further and we say okay well, what, what's the next step what is something practical I could put into my life and I could probably ask how many of you are praying daily how many of you wake up in the morning or go to bed at night seeking the Lord And I'm not just saying, sending out a wish list, just praying for the sick, but saying, God, first of all, you are great, you are mighty, you are holy, admonishing the Lord and all that he is, worshiping him in prayer, and then coming back to the fact that I am not worthy. Lord, please put my sin to death. Or are we just running to the Lord as if he is our genie in a bottle saying, hey, Lord, I need you to do X, Y, and Z for me today. And some of those things aren't bad because we're asking for healing of people. We may be asking for salvation for others. But we don't stop and we don't pray as Jesus told us to pray. We don't worship the Lord. We don't ask for Him to kill our sin, to kill temptation in our life. Develop a good prayer life. It's interesting, Paul says here, pray without ceasing. So it's not just getting away in solitude. We see Christ do that. It's a good practice. It's not just praying corporately, but it's also praying without ceasing. So as you go through your day, you're not only meditating on the Word of God, but maybe you're praying over the Word of God. It's a good practice, too. And also you're praying about things that pop up in your mind. Pray without ceasing, meaning don't stop praying. And I think it's interesting. He says, rejoice and give thanks always. Are we doing that? I tell you, we get so busy in life, folks, I'm going to say this again, that we don't do these things. We don't set in practice routines that are spiritual practices. But we would do those things with physical things. And then I ask you this. uh, Another way of yielding to the Spirit daily. A good practice to do so. It's to remember God's grace and mercy every day for yourself. so so you got the uh, the word down, you've you got to the pray and, and the rejoice always. but are you internalizing the gospel every day? Are you thinking about what Jesus has done for you on a daily basis? because if you do that starting out in the morning, I promise you this, it is hard to sin against that. If you think on it, early in the morning and then you go throughout your day of thinking about the gospel and what Christ has accomplished on your behalf it is it makes it all the more difficult for your body to give way to sin listen to what Titus or Paul writes to Titus here I think this is fascinating Titus chapter 3 1 through 6 he says remind them (laughs) Paul says it often remind them it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish. You see that? See what Paul did there? <clears throat> he tells them to remind them, and he tells them this these things that they need to change in their life, in the life of the church, very similar list to what he gives them, Paul does this often. He gives these what we call vice lists or lists of sins. Paul does it here too. But he says, remind them. And He talks about rulers and authorities and to be obedient. And then he goes into the, these, this list of sins. But listen to this. He says what he reminds them of. For we ourselves were once foolish. Sound like anybody in here? Disobedient led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But here's the gospel, and this is what we, Paul's telling them. Not only remind them of their sin and what they used to be, remind yourself of who you used to be. Remind yourself of who you used to be. Think about who you were before Christ saved you. Paul's saying, remind them. And then what does he say? Not only remind them of who they used to be, but remind them of the gospel. Because listen to this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Here's my favorite part. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. That sounded like last week? But according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Ephesians says He lavished it upon us. So, remind them. So I'm here today to remind you, to remind myself, that the Lord... A part of our war against ourselves, our flesh, is that we must remind ourselves daily of what we used to be and who we are now. And not give the enemy a foothold into our lives. Not give our flesh a foothold into our life. Not allow bad practices to come back into our life and to begin to take back over because God has saved us and set us free of those things. Paul reminds Tim, or Titus sorry, that the reason that we should no longer be enslaved to sin and be yielding ourselves to the Spirit is because what Christ has done to us, for us. So we are to yield ourselves to the Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Wake up every morning yielding ourselves because of that reason. This is harking back to last week, as I stated, preach the gospel to yourself each day exclamation point I put there. Every day, wake up in the morning and preach the gospel to yourself. If you are of the redeemed, if you're saved, it is because God saved you out of your sin. That's why it says, Paul says, rejoice and be glad always. Always rejoicing. Wake up every day and do it. I promise you. Because if you wake up in the morning and do that in the morning, it is going to put you on the right steps to the, a day that's living towards holiness. A day that is waging war against sin. Because if you don't, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be easy and a slippery slope to fall into a, a, a day of sin, a life of sin. May it be one where you're thinking and you're dwelling on what God has done in your life. Every day. If you yield yourself to the Spirit daily, you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. That's what the Scripture says right there in verse 16. Paul says it. If you yield yourself to the Spirit daily, you will not give yourself over to the flesh. The desires of the flesh will not take over you. It it is impossible. It It is a statement there that Paul makes. It's imperative. Walk with the Spirit. Yield yourself to the Spirit. What's the result of that? The result is that this flesh will not take over us. We'll have no control over our lives. Remember, this is an exhortation here. It's an encouragement. doesn't sound like much of one, right? But it is. Paul is encouraging the church. And the results, uh, if we follow it out, it's just a simple imperative. So I've given you some tools to yield yourself. So I hope you take these things and you think through them you internalize them through the rest of the day. You process them and you put them into practice because this is all useless for me to stand up here and tell you these things if you don't. It's not beneficial to you. So take these words and take God's word into practice and yield yourself. That's the first step. You have to understand because you won't get anywhere further until you yield yourself in the morning Yield yourself that day towards the spirit. Second thing is, we must recognize that we are in the midst of a spiritual war. Anybody want to doubt that? <clears throat> I can guarantee you that you are in the midst of a spiritual war, <clears throat> and the moment you think you're not is problematic. See, Paul provides us here so as we go on to verse 17 listen to this for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do so why should we yield to the spirit to keep us from doing the things we want to do But we see in verse 17 that there's these two opposing forces within ourselves that are at war within ourselves. You have the spirit and you have the flesh. They are at war with one another. And not only are we at war with our own self, we already have that issue, but we also have a spiritual war going on. Paul provides us with optimism and hope here. It may not seem like it, but he's giving you an understanding of of optimism and hope in the sense that the Spirit cannot be overcome by the flesh, ultimately, if you're a true believer. Ask the question, how is that? How does he give us optimism and hope here? Because if the Spirit dwells within us, we will recognize the eternal struggle that is happening. You'll recognize that. There's an eternal struggle that is happening. A spiritual struggle is happening. The tension between the two is obvious in your life. If you're a believer, the tension will be there. If it's not there, I'm going to tell you, I hate to say check yourself. But we need to check ourselves. We'll get that in a minute. But it is obvious in the life of a believer of the tension of the struggle that is there you know it trust me when you're dealing with sin and, and you're wanting to do what's right that tension's there <clears throat> as John Piper says we are to make war against the flesh and spiritual enemies that war against us he says make war something we have to do. And again, going back to the daily idea that we have to wake up and make war against the idea that daily we're spiritually in a spiritual war. Tom Schreiner makes this statement. Walking in the Spirit is not the same as coasting along in a fair bereave. Alright? So that's what I was talking about earlier. That's kind of the idea that we have about walking in the Spirit. He said, For the flesh wars against the Spirit... And the Spirit wars against the flesh. Still, Paul is fundamentally optimistic here, claiming that as one walks by the Spirit and is led by the Spirit, there is substantial, significant, observable victory over the flesh. So, do we still sin? Yes, we do. It is a struggle. I'm here today to give you tools to help you in that. But it's also still a struggle. What Tom Schreiner is doing here is saying that ultimately, what you should be able to do is visualize and see in your life substantial, significant, and observable victory over the flesh. If you were to sit back and evaluate your life, you should be able to see that, yes, God has done a work in my life and has changed me. Although I'm still warring with the flesh, I am winning against the flesh because of what the Spirit is doing in my life. Because I am yielding myself to the Spirit. I'm going to point out some verses that show you what I'm talking about here, that this isn't something that Jeff is making up. When I'm talking about, that sounds really strange when, when he's saying that we're warring against, uh, we're in a spiritual war. That kind of sounds strange, especially when you talk to unbelievers. It sounds really hokey almost. But Paul says here in Ephesians 6:10 through 13, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Y'all should check that out later, by the way. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So not only are we at war against ourselves and our own members of our flesh, for we, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So those people that you tend to despise and you don't get along with and, and that you struggle with and, you know, some of the sin that comes out in people, guess what Paul's saying here? That person... He's flesh and blood, but what you're really fighting against is something more spiritual than that. It says this, this is what you're fighting against, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 2 Corinthians ten three through 4 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See that? So we're waging war against our flesh. We're waging war against principalities of darkness, spiritual darkness. And it says, but we have divine power to destroy those strongholds already named all that. I'm going to go back to it. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. It says, Your adversary, the devil, your enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Guess what he desires in your life? He ultimately wants to destroy you and devour you. And the way that you know you're doing something right, when you begin to yield yourself to the Spirit, let me tell you something. You're waging war against him. And if you think it's going to get any easier from that point on, I can guarantee you it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get harder. And it's easy to give up at that point when that happens. But I encourage you and I challenge you today, continue to yield yourself to the Spirit and make war against that. It says, resist him. Firm, your, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world so let me tell you something people in this room if you look around you're not the only one that's struggling and dealing with sin you're not the only one that's fighting the battle against the spiritual strongholds and spiritual uh, darkness that's why we come collectively as a church because we understand that that we're all in this together <clears throat> alright here folks we need to wake up and realize that we are not just walking through this life Now, it seems like Christians are just aimlessly walking through life these days without understanding that we are at war. Going about every day if there's not a war going on, for your flesh and your enemy desires to trap you, so we must remember that we are in a spiritual battlefield and that by yielding to the Spirit is the only way to live a life of peace. I didn't say it get easier. It's the only way to live a life of peace, so as we walk with the spirit daily recognizing the spiritual climate that we live in it should produce a hatred for sin so so what should happen in the life of the believer as we're doing these things it should produce hatred for sin in our life if it's not producing that then there's a problem you should hate sin yes you do it guess what your response should be to it i hate that i hate sin John Owens once said this, Do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Do you make it your daily work to mortify or to put to death sin is what he's saying. Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Think about that for a second. You should be putting to death sin daily by what I've already shared with you so that it will not kill you. Because in the end, like the language states, Satan will devour you. Your sin will devour you. It will overcome you. But a true believer, that's not the case. So That's why it's a warning. Paul is giving a warning here to the church. Be aware of this. Jesus says in Matthew 6.24 that we cannot serve two masters for we will end up loving one and hating the other. You can't serve both. You can't be in love with both. Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me after me, listen to this. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you must deny yourself. You can't go on living and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian of Jesus, and not deny yourself. Being okay in the old person while saying that, you know what, I'm a believer. Can I assure you of something? No, you're not. Jesus didn't call us to a life of comfort, to a life of ease, to a life of continuing in the same sin that he helped deliver us from. He says, we must design ourselves and listen to this, take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Cross is an instrument of death. It means that you should be putting your sins to death daily. Pick up your cross, follow Jesus, and put your sins to death daily. That is what he's called you to. He's not called you to a life of the American dream. He's not called you to a life of just saying, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus. I said a prayer. I believe. It's not good enough. The reality of it is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you following Him to the point that you're willing to pick up the cross, to suffer alongside of Him, and to put sin to death daily? Because Paul's putting it in the question here. He's checking you, and he's saying, you better be looking at this. Because if you're of sin, if you're of the flesh, and you're able to continue in the the ways in this list that Paul gives us, if that's a part of your lifestyle or any other sinful lifestyle, then there's no way that you're a believer. And It is a hard word from Scripture, but it's reality. If we can continue to live in that kind of life. Again, we see the tension between our flesh and walking with the Lord daily there with the Lord's words. We put it to death. If we are not warring against our flesh, let that stand as evidence of your faith. If you are not warring against your flesh, let that stand as evidence of your faith. Or either let it encourage you into making war. Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and the perverted speech I hate, he says. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We should absolutely hate evil. But how do we know what evil, how do we know what sin is? Unless we understand and look at the Word of God. That's why our our youth today, that's why there's many in the church today who... Have no clue they're just following Jesus or they claim to follow Jesus but yet when they leave the doors of the the house of your uh, the doors of your home and they go out into the world they they slip into the world into its ways of life because we haven't prepared we haven't given them the word we haven't held, held, uh, we haven't <laughs> had them to understand that what what is sin and how it destroys us. So listen to this as we wrap up. It says, My favorite theologian, A.W. Pink, wrote, Unless the Christian devotes all his powers to a definite, uncompromising, earnest, constant warfare upon indwelling sin, unless he diligently seeks to weaken its roots, suppress its motions, restrain its outward eruptions and actions, And seeks to put it to death, the enemy within his soul, he is guilty of the ingratitude to Christ. He goes on to say, For it is impossible that both sin and grace should be healthy and vigorous in the soul at the same time. If a garden is overrun with weeds, they choke and starve the profitable plants. Absorbing the moisture and nourishment they should feed upon, So if the lust of the flesh absorb the soul, the graces of the spirit cannot develop. If the mind is filled with worldly or filthy things, then meditation on holy things is crowded out. You Understand that? If you're allowing sin in your life, it's going to crowd out what you're trying to accomplish. But if you're meditating on the word of God and you're doing what's right and living in a holy lifestyle, it's going to crowd out the sin Occupation with sin deadens the mind of holy duties, he says. So in verses 19 through 21, we see a list of sins. Paul does this often. I think Philippians may be the only book that he doesn't write. I'm not going to go through those sins detail by detail today. But sometimes we see overlaps in these types of lists, which are common in Paul's writings. But I do want to warn you that we should look at those lists. We should look at the damage that it has on the church when sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality are allowed. I've had multiple conversations over the past couple of weeks with, with people talking about. My wife will tell you if a lady crosses my path, I will get really awkward. Like, I'll look down in a way. Like, I just try not to even give that into my mind. And what happens with that and we were talking to some folks this week and in, in past weeks, is that people are like, oh, it's fine to look, just don't touch. No. Like, and these are Christians, like, no. In no way is that okay, because what does that lead to? Ultimately, it leads to members of your body thinking about things, lusting upon things that aren't yours. So, in no way is that statement okay, or do I hope you think it's okay to look that way, That goes for females too. I've heard that several times by believers this weekend. It's been troublesome to me. There's other things that the scriptures talk about, social sins. It gets into talking about dissensions and factions and all those things. Can I tell you that sin, when sin is permissible in the church, when it begins to happen, guess what the result of it is? It's going to produce dissensions, factions, and more evil. That's what Paul is writing about here. That's what he writes about throughout the churches. Is that if you allow these things to take place, then sin is going to become more so. So, this list is not specific to our church, but there are things within it that we can take away from we're able to see some of the dangers as we see throughout the New Testament writings each church seems to have their own set of issues as I've already stated the question here is are we as a church filled with people toward a lifestyle okay us as a church lifestyle of repentance and yielding to the spirit on a daily basis are we or are we living in consistent sin what kind of church are we what kind of people are we going to be are we going to look at our sin and repent and put it to death and yield to the Spirit or are we just going to say no, nah, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. <clears throat> it's dangerous for us to look and say well that's them and not us. We're bad about doing that locally. We'll say oh, that church down the street has got its own problems. I'm glad that's not us. Let me tell you something. That's a dangerous thing. To think that, not to humble yourself to the point of your own sin. So, I would challenge you that. Listen to Paul's stern warning in Galatians, the second portion of uh, five twenty-one. Once you to get this, he, he states this to the uh, Corinthians too, and he's already told him this once. It says, "I warn you, as I warned you before." So, Paul's having to reiterate this for a second time. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That, that is a stern warning. That if you are practicing sin, you will not inherit the things or the kingdom of God. Meaning that you are not of Him. You are not a believer. Don't fool yourself into thinking you are because if you're living a lifestyle of sin and you think that you can just continue to do that but grace should abound all the more Paul says surely not I know this has been a hard message uh, but I hope it helps you understand that we are resting in Christ's accomplished work not our own that's why it goes back to this is not our righteousness this is not us at work this is the Spirit's work well, if the Spirit's going to work inside us, what should it look like? It shouldn't look like a life of sin. Then we should desire not to continue to live in bondage to our sin. It's important that we look at these difficult passages so that, and I'm going to run through these, we don't deceive ourselves. Just listen to these passages. 1 John 2, 4-6 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Don't lie to yourself. Don't convince yourself. Don't deceive yourself you're not walking as Christ is walking if you're not putting this death your sin it is a dangerous thing folks and that is what John is writing to the churches that he is writing to and referring to people were going around claiming that they were believers but they had not changed at all their lifestyle had not changed they were not walking as Christ had walked James one twenty two through 25 says be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Again, actions do not save you. Only the righteousness of Christ. But what should come alongside of that? Works of good. Your actions. Your actions. It is evidence to your salvation. So don't deceive yourselves. Second, test yourselves. 2 Corinthians thirteen five says, examining yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Paul says that. Test yourselves, or do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. He has that as a, as a question, not a statement. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. It sounds like there's something there that we can be doing, but what he's trying to get across to them is understanding, test yourself in the faith. Are you relying on Christ for your righteousness and your holiness? If you are, then ultimately the implication of that is that you should have a changed life. You are a new creation in Christ. And the final thing I'll say is we recognize that we are not alone in this spiritual war. And I, this is where the now what comes. If you're a growth group leader, you'll. if you're going into growth group this week, if you do it virtually, however you handle that, here's my thing. Go ahead and read Romans 7, 14 through 25 because that's where the questions come from. But it's this interesting dialogue with Paul himself of his struggle. Now, Paul, of all people, Paul's struggling spiritually at war with his members saying I do the very thing that I don't want to do. But when you get to the end of that chapter it's, it's good news there. So please check that out. Read that. And my last encouragement is: we think over these things throughout the week let's remember to yield ourselves daily to the Holy Spirit recognize that you're in a spiritual war and be intent on killing sin in your lives. Be dead set on it. As we yield daily to the Spirit, it will benefit us greatly in killing sin. I promise you. And remember, the final end to the war has already been accomplished. So it's not that by doing these things that you're accomplishing something. It's by doing these things that you're showing evidence that Jesus is Lord of your life and that you love Him and only Him. So know that the war is won. Yield to the one who has won the war. Father, just uh, give us a sense of urgency in these matters. It is a hard topic to look at when we speak of sin and sin in our own lives. We we love to look at other people to point out other people's flaws and their issues and their sin. And Lord, we really ultimately don't want to deal with our own sin. We do that out of just the desire to not humble ourselves and and recognize that we are yet also sinners and we continue to struggle with this very idea throughout our Christian walk. I know for me, now being a believer of almost 20 years, that this has been an ongoing struggle in my life. Lord, I pray for myself and for those who are in this congregation, those who are listening online, that we may... Lord, war against our sin through yielding to You on a daily basis. May Your Word, may prayer, may the edification of other believers and surrounding ourselves with other believers become important to us. Lord, do a great work in us today. Do a great work going forward. I hope this is not something that we just hear, but we do. Lord, that we put it into action and we see the implications of it in our life. And Lord, if we do so, that we examine ourselves, as we partake of your table, to make sure that we're resting in you for salvation alone. Lord, if we go back to take the Lord's Supper, knowing that, Lord, you, God, have paid the penalty and the wages of our sin, and that we rejoice in that. And that we desire, Lord, for you to be Lord of our life. Lord, guide us through this week. May we glorify you in your name I pray. Amen.